right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We have Brandon McAnderson joining the show at 340. John Kirby at 445, plenty of our Friday segments today. And after the show, got high school football, high school playoffs start up tonight. Lawrence High here on KLWN, Free State over on 92.9 The Bowl. Both games kick off at 7, pregame 645. Nick's going to be on the call with Sam, so he's going to be bouncing here in a little bit from the show. Yep. And uh, Matt Llewellyn will be on the call with Hank Booth for the Lawrence High game. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 bet on NBA Moneyline and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. You can also bet on the uh, World Series, which kicks off tonight, and they have a special uh, bonus on DraftKings. You can get plus 200 added to your odds of someone to hit a home run. So if you think that Bryce Harper is going to continue his hot streak, he's normally plus 330 to hit a home run. You get him plus 530 to hit a home run. How about Jose Altuve, who's been really clutch in the uh, postseason? Plus 700 to hit a home run. Go up to plus 900. Kyle Schwarber with a Schwarbaum. He's from plus 280, would go to plus 480. And what about Jordan Alvarez, who's been amazing? Plus 270 would go up to plus 470. So you can check out that with DraftKings. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash Basketball terms. Derek, huge news. Okay. Huge news. Huge news. All right. The way you built this up, this better be an eight or above. Officially. Today. It's official. Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen getting a divorce. Mm, okay. I mean. It's been in the news for a while, but yeah. today is officially the day that, that it's like happening. Well, did you see the report yesterday? So the that, Ravens. The Ravens. Oh, they the final did blow. It. Yeah. The Ravens it, the final did you blow. see the report yesterday that she gave him the ultimatum, retire yes. or we're done? Yes. So I'm sure she was basically like, all right, this is your last game. And now he was we're like, done. no, it's not. Yep, now we're done. I'm going to finish out the season. Can't quit on my team. Man. Tough for Tom. This is this is got I mean, I they they shared the stat last night that they're 3 and 5 is the first time the Tom Brady uh, a Tom Brady team through 8 games is under 500 really? in his entire career. Dude just give it like up. On one hand, I feel bad for the guy, but on the other hand, just retire. Like there, you couldn't, you can't do anything else. Yeah, and like just go live on a beach with with your very attractive wife. <laughs> he just doesn't want to do that. He's bored by his family. He needs football. Oh my! But like he's got to realize, God. like at some point, he's gonna have to stop playing football. So might as well do it now. Uh, Bucks suck. Like, what if he like just plays until he dies. Oh gosh! Could you imagine? 
He's like 55 years old and somebody hits him so hard that he I mean, actually dies. Yes. Like that would be that would be very tragic. That'd be so bad. Mm-hmm. The player's like celebrating. And then he realizes, dude. I don't know. What have yeah, I done? Yeah. I don't yeah. Man, we shouldn't start the show with such morbid talk. Here. I know. Way to go. How's <laughs> that my fault? You said huge news. No, I didn't bring it, but not that was fine up until we started talking about Tom Brady dying okay. on the field. <laughs> well, let's talk about KU football, which has made me die a little inside over the last three weeks. Uh, okay. Pulse check. What what does Kansas football finish this year? Six and six. Okay. So you're still confident they're going to make a bowl game? Yes. How would well, you rank? They could go seven and five, but six and six. Okay. So what would you, how would you rank the most likely order of outcomes here? So- uh, they have <coughs> what? They have Oklahoma five, State. Four different options of what their record could fit. No, wait. They could win because they have four left. Derek, it, it, it's too early in the Nine, show eight, for eight, seven, it. Nine, eight, seven, six, five. Math, okay, they could, they could win five different numbers of games. Okay. Rank them what is most likely. They could win five, six, seven, eight, or nine games. Uh, okay. I think six is number one, most likely. Second most likely is five. Third most likely is seven. And then fourth, eight, fifth, nine. That's what I would say. I know, yeah, eight and I know, nine are definitely the bottom two. Yeah, and I know you want to say that you think five is the most likely, so you can just say it. it's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. I don't know if it is the most likely. There we go. But it's definitely five and six our, or one and two. Power of positivity. In some order. And then seven, yeah. Because it's just, you look at the upcoming schedule. It's tough. It is. It's tough. Oklahoma State will be tough. Texas Tech will be tough, but winnable. Yeah. Texas, again, I think the best case scenario for, for KU for Texas is that Texas loses their next couple games and they just stop trying. Mm-hmm. And then you can beat them again. And then K-State. And no matter which way you slice it, K-State is going to be very, very, very jacked up for that game. Because they always are. Because they always are. It's the Super Bowl. It's the only game they care about. Hmm. And as yeah. I and as I have said, if KU's five and six going to play at K State, they should just not even play the game and just be five and seven. They're not gonna win. <laughs> I'm sorry. And listen, I, I love the obviously, you know, I'm I'm Mr. Optimist over here. If they're five and six going to play K State, they have no chance. What hmm. but wouldn't that give more motivation for Kansas to maybe be uh... I it would know. give you. It would give more motivation to K State than it would give motivation to Kansas. I think. I just again, I go through each of those individual games, and it's tough for me to say this is going to be the one they win. And I know that's not how it works. Like they just have to have, they just have to have one game one go, go their, their way. way, right? Yep. And so the odds would say that among four and, games, and, and again, I I think with their offense, they're they're going to be in every game. I think. I would think so. It's just the the hesitation in my mind after seeing the first half of the Baylor game and really the first half of the Oklahoma game too, if we want to go there, really the whole Oklahoma game um, because you were always kind of at bay in that game after yeah. the first quarter. Yeah, I mean, you only lose by 10, but I think we talked about it after the game. In that game, there was it was never like you legitimately thought KU was going to make a run, right? Like the moment where you thought they were going to make a run was it was 28-14 and they, Dylan Gabriel fumbled. And KU recovered. That was like the moment they were going to make a run, and then they went three and out and punted. And then from that point on, yes, it, they kept it, you know, close, quote unquote. But from that point on, there was never a moment where you sat back in your chair and thought, "KU can win this game." 
Yeah. Do you think that the Texas Tech game is the one that if they lo- if they lose to Oklahoma State and then they lose to Texas Tech, is that when kind of the panic is going to come in? Oh, yes. I have asserted many times over many weeks that I, I am not concerned. I want to make that very clear. Right now, on this on today, this show, not concerned. But if they if they lose to Oklahoma State, they're five and four, and they lose to Texas Tech, and they're five and five with Texas and K State left, I will be concerned. I will not be panicking. I would be. I will be panicking after they lose to Texas. What if they get blown out by Oklahoma State off the bye? No panic. No panic. No fifty six to seven. Completely unbothered. I don't believe you. Completely unconcerned. <laughs> The sun couldn't be shining brighter. Nope. 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 Okay. They could lose 100 to 0. 500 to 0. Wow. <laughs> and you would not be a single bit worried. Nope. Not until they lose to Texas Tech. <laughs> the, other team, the other quarterback throws for 50 touchdowns in a game. It's like, yeah, secondary's fine. They'll figure it out. Yep. Uh, if I could guarantee you that one facet of KU, so you can take this any way you want. You can take it as an individual player. You can take it in, in like a unit. You can take it whatever played at their ceiling the rest of the season, what would you choose? I would probably, I think maybe the run defense might be the best choice or just specifically the D-line, maybe. What do you think? The D-line would certainly be helpful because that would help the run defense and with the pass rush. But, I just say, but can I say the run defense collectively? Play, yeah, I think uh, that best, works. Yeah, they play their best run defense over yeah. the next four games. That might be it. That might be the pick. That would I think it has be to be. There. I think it has to be a defensive oriented selection because the defense has struggled. Hmm. Whereas the offense, while it has been up and down, it's been more up than down. Shall we say? I actually would go with the offense. You would. I would go with they have a dominant running game again. Like back to what. Whether that means that... Like with the option, triple option, yes, like whatever. Yes, whether that means it it works with that or they're able to get to it with the, the wide zone scheme. Whatever it is, get back to what they were like against Houston, West Virginia, where you're running for 250, 300 yards in a game. Because if you do that, you're going to control the ball, keep it away from your defense, keep them well rested, and that's just going to mean that you're moving the ball up and down the field and going to score points. And okay. I think if you do that every game the rest of the way, you're going to win one, probably two. Maybe even three at that point if you if you run for that much. Okay. Yeah. You could look at it from that way. Mm-hmm. I still think the run defense pick is more important though. Cuz you have to be able to stop the run. Like that like what like what's the been the common denominator of these last 3 losses? I, I just, guess besides TCU. My problem is that defensively even if they do stop the run, I'm not confident they're going to stop the pass as well. <laughs> so I want I want to guarantee that they're going to score points to keep up with them. Uh, no, that's that's a fair point, you know, and Oklahoma State is one of the more high-tempo offenses in the country. Texas Tech, I think, as of a couple weeks ago when we were discussed this, they were number one in the country in plays per game. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be running tempo. Texas can do that. And then you have K-State. So, yeah, it is, it is tough. It's tough. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we have our game picks followed by Brandon McAnderson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson. Brandon McAnderson is going to join us coming up here at 340. John Kirby is going to join us at 445. Some KU football and with John KU football recruiting here on RCST. Let's get to our game picks, though, for this week. Nick is on absolute heater. He went 9-1. and one. Between college football and I'm the on NFL last week. Fire, baby. You Let's are go. up to 38, 40, 41, and 1 overall. If you include your locks, you're 44, 48, and 3. So you're you're getting close to surfacing above 500. There we go. I did not have a good week. I went 3 and 7. <laughs> um, I am 35, 44, and 1, or 40, 54, and 1, including the locks. We'll start in college football where you are 22 and 23. I am 19 and 26. First up, number two, Ohio State at number 13, Penn State. The Buckeyes are giving up 15. Yeah, so Michigan, I think, was like 11-point favorites against Penn State when they played, and I rolled with Penn State, and Penn State got beat pretty badly. So I'm a little nervous to go back to Penn State, so I'm going to go with Ohio State here. The thing about Ohio State, though, is they haven't played a soul. So it's possible they – I mean, I know they're good, but, like, Maybe Penn State might have a chance to kind of catch them, you know, off guard a little bit. But I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm nervous about Penn State after what happened against Michigan, so I'm taking Ohio State. I'm taking Ohio State too. I I think Ohio State. You're right. They haven't played anyone, but they've blown everybody out. And that that yeah. was kind of like Georgia last. Their best year. win is Toledo, by the way. Toledo's good. They're winning the MAC. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not great. Uh, Ohio State just has so much skill talent on the outside. Even that Penn State-Michigan game, like, Penn State got kind of blown out in that game. But it was the running game that hurt, that killed Penn State in that game. It was. And Ohio State has a guy who's probably going to be a first-round pick in two years in Travion Henderson. So, like, they can run the football. They just have everything on offense. I think Ohio State wins this game running away. Okay. Plus, it's not a Penn State night game, so a little less, I don't know. And also, I don't understand why Penn State doesn't do their whiteout for their biggest home game every year. Wouldn't a whiteout be weird at 11 a.m., though? Is that just me? Like, isn't Maybe. there something cool about the whiteout under the lights? I, I suppose so. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Notre Dame at number 16, Syracuse. The Orange are giving up two and a half. I've been riding with Syracuse the past couple weeks, and they have been good to me. I'm riding with them again. Mm. Give me Syracuse. By the way. Uh, they almost he, didn't cover the, uh, the – so they were up 21 to 3 or whatever, 21 to 7 on Clemson, and they almost didn't cover the plus 13. Mm-hmm. Clemson got up 6 and had a chance, I think, late, but – Syracuse hung on, but I'm still I'm riding with the boys. Yeah. By the way, though, your your qualm with 11 a.m. games. There's a top 15 matchup at 11 a.m. Oh, I don't care about that. Oh, yeah. As long as it's not kids. Um, well, no, but no. I'm just saying, what, how, what number of 11 a.m. games is Penn State going to play this season? Oh, yeah, I don't know. At That's home, probably like this is probably like the, what their second home 11 a.m. game maybe of the year. Yeah, it's probably not a ton. Um, that, That's my point. I don't care about I don't care about how good or bad you are. I just there should be a limit. No, that's fair. I'm going to go with 
Notre Dame in this one. I think it's going to be an ugly defensive matchup. Notre Dame has a good defense. Syracuse has a great defense. Um, it does scare me a little. Notre Dame's offense is bad. I still don't really trust the Syracuse quarterback, but the running back, Sean Tucker, absolute beast. Yeah, that guy, that guy is an animal. I just, I, I think this is the, I don't know, game where it comes back to earth a little bit for Syracuse. So I'm, I'm okay. going to take Notre Dame. They did, just, they, they lost to Clemson, so it's yeah. not like they're still no, good loss. on cloud nine. Uh, number nine, Oklahoma State at number 22, Kansas State. The Wildcats are giving up a point and a half. Yeah, there's questions, obviously, at the quarterback position for Kansas State and for Oklahoma State. I, I, this is a game that I think Oklahoma State should win. So I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. And also, I don't want Kansas State to win. So I'm picking Oklahoma State. So it, it's this is more of a heart pick than it is a head pick. Um, so do with that as you may. But I'm going to ride with the Pokes. Okay. I'm going to go with Kansas State. I think Oklahoma State, you're coming off a bunch of dramatic games with TCU and, and then coming back on Texas last week. Kansas State, meanwhile, revved up after a loss that they probably feel like let slip away from them after they were up 28-10. to 10. I think Kansas State gets them at home and causes more chaos and basically puts all of the Big 12's yep. college football playoff hopes on TCU. Yep. Number 20, Cincinnati at Central Florida. UCF giving up a point and a half. Yeah, I Central Florida, they had a big win against SMU earlier this season, but SMU's not that good. I don't really know what else that, uh, UCF has done. So I'm going to go with Cincinnati here. I like, I like Cincinnati. I think they're a solid team, uh, and I think they'll find a way to get it done. Wait, is this UCF's space game, or did they already do that? Because <laughs> if it's the space game, I might change my pick. I don't know when their space game is. I thought they already did that. Uh, okay. Let's see. If they already did their space game, then we're in the clear. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know when they're doing Okay, it's uh, October 22nd against Memphis, so that would have okay, been... Last week? This past week, yeah. Okay. No, we're good then. Give me give me, give me, me Cincy. I'm going to go UCF in this one. I think at home they pull the upset. I mean, they're favored. It's one of those weird ones where they're the unranked team versus the ranked team, but they're favored. Uh, I, I don't know. UCF in this one. I picked it in the preseason, so I'll just pick it now. Number 19, Kentucky at number 3, Tennessee. Vols are giving up 11.5. Yeah, I. this is another tough one. I'm really not sure. I picked against Tennessee last week against uh, against UT Martin, mm. <laughs> and they covered. So that was pretty sad. That was your lock, yeah. That was my lock, yeah, and it didn't work out. So 11.5 is a lot. I, I, I really feel like Kentucky's going to be able to at least hang around. In this game. I don't think they're going to win, but surely Kentucky can cover 11 and a half. So I'm going to pick Kentucky. I'm taking Kentucky as well. The, the thing with Tennessee is that their offense is just so good that they could just blow you out of the water right I know, away. That's the concern. And that is scary. Kentucky, though, did you know they are in the top 10 in the country in time of possession per game, which I'm not one of those people who says, oh, you got to win time of possession to win the game. Like, no, it's just maximize, be efficient with your positions. But why that does matter in a game like this. Tennessee runs pure hurry-up, no-huddle offense. And yep. in a game like that, your defense is going to get tired, especially defending how good Tennessee is. You need to get them off the field and give them time to rest. And I think Kentucky can bother Tennessee with the pace of the game if they can slow it down a bit and can keep the defense rested, that I think they can keep it close. And dare I say, Kentucky pulls the upset to win straight up. No, they're not going to win. No? I think, I think they can cover. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take them to cover. Uh, what is your lock of the week? You were three and five. So uh, my lock. <clears throat> excuse me. My lock of the week is Oklahoma minus one and a half at Iowa State. Iowa State sucks. Iowa State is terrible. 
They're horrible. Are they? Yes. They suck. Give me I Oklahoma. Think they do. Oklahoma is going to win. They clearly have not had Oklahoma a good season. Oklahoma is going to win by a lot, I think. They're going to blow them out. Yeah, see, I don't know. I always this say, is, like, this is the books not fully correcting weird, on man. Oklahoma. This is the books not I mean, fully correcting on Oklahoma. Uh, Iowa State's 0-4 in Big 12 play. They've lost the four games by a combined 14 points. You know how close that, that puts them to being like 4-0 or even like 2-2 two two or 3-1? I don't know. I don't think well, they could bad. lose by two points against Oklahoma, so and I would actually, make money off of it. I'm so just going to fade your lock of the week. Really? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. Um, That'd be kind of rude. Honestly, I was going to take Rutgers, Minnesota under 40 and a half. Minnesota, good defense, but I actually just came on a uh, new line. The over under in the Iowa Northwestern game is 37 and a half. Yep. And I'm pounding the under. That okay. game's going to finish like 10 to zero. Okay. All right, under the NFL, where you went four and one last week, you're 16, 18, and one. I am 16, 18, and one as well. First up, Arizona at Minnesota. The Vikings are giving up three and a half. This is the easiest slam dunk of all time. It's Call of Duty release weekend. <laughs> Kyler Murray is going to be in shambles. Minnesota, it's not a primetime game. So Kirk Cousins is going to be dialed up. Give me Minnesota. Yeah, I'm taking Minnesota as well. Um, Arizona's the just Cardinals not very are just good. Bad. Yeah, they're also yeah. just bad. And Minnesota's good. I mean, Minnesota's, I think, quietly crept under the Eagles and maybe even the Cowboys just in terms of how good they've been. Vikings yeah. are good. Yeah. New England is at the New York Jets, but the Patriots are the team that is favored by two and a half. Yeah, this is dumb. The Patriots don't know who their starting quarterback is. Bailey Zappi should be starting, but apparently it's going to be Mac Jones, so I don't really know. Either way, I'm rolling with the Jets, man. Hmm. See, this bothers me because maybe it's just Vegas isn't adjusting to the New York teams. They they just keep getting underdogs, and they are yes. again this week. Yes. And I've been betting on the New York teams like every week, and, and betting on that's them. been working out for you. And it hasn't been working for me. I don't know. Vegas knows something. Line Patriots off their lowest low, looking bad against the Bears. Jets. Um, I don't even remember what they did last week. Beat the Broncos or something like that. No, they, they uh... yeah, that sounds right. Oh yeah, they did beat the Broncos. Uh, Patriots, I guess. I don't know. Uh, San Francisco 49ers minus one and a half at the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, I'm taking San Francisco here. Christian McCaffrey has now had a full week to integrate into the offense, and the Niners' defense is good. The Rams are still kind of floundering, and floundering might be putting it generously for them, right? Give me the Niners. Mm. Hmm. This is another one where it's tough for me. The Niners have played really well against the Rams in the Shanahan versus McVay era. Also, even though it's in yeah, LA, this is their second ma- matchup, right? They are, they already beat oh, this them year. Yeah, season, yeah, right? that's yeah. weird. They've already going to be done with their matchup this early in the season. Yeah, I don't like that. Um, this is sort of like a a neutral field game. Honestly, even sort of a home game for San Francisco. This is probably like the last a must win for the Rams, though. Don't you think? Couldn't you say the same for I don't know. The the division the Seahawks are leading the division at four and three. The Rams actually have a better record than the 49ers, though. What's the Rams record? Three and three, and the 49ers are three and four. Okay. So I mean, either way, whoever wins it is right there for the division, and whoever loses is like gamer two back. So I I don't know if it's a must win for either team. Uh, it's probably more important for the Rams, though, because they did lose to the 49ers earlier. But I will go San Francisco. I don't feel great about it. New York Giants traveling across the country, going to Seattle, minus three. Giants all day. Daniel Jones. You're an honorary he's a, he's a New Yorker, maker. despite the fact that despite New York. Despite the fact that I don't like yeah. New York. But they're doing me they're doing me a great service on the football field. 
Yeah, dude, I don't understand the Giants, man. They, they they keep winning, and they keep being underdogs, and I keep betting on them, and it's it's great. And the I Giants. keep doing the opposite, and I keep losing money. So <laughs> you should probably listen to Nick on this front, but I'm going to fade them one more time. They're going all the way across the country to Seattle. Tough place to play in yeah, but Seattle. There's, there's no jet lag when you go east to west. <laughs> Is that a thing? Well, no, think about it. If you go... <laughs> No, no, don't you know? Don't you understand that? No, it's like if you're on the West Coast and you have to go play like a twelve o'clock game on the East Coast or uh-huh. one o'clock game on the East Coast, that's like ten a.m. on West Coast time, right? But if you're flying east to west, then it doesn't matter because you're already. You see what I'm saying? I I see what you're saying, but I don't. Is jet lag just based on the time difference? I thought it was just based on you feel like fatigued from the travel. Oh, maybe. I don't but, know. But that's, that could but be, that was could always, be something that there. That was always the thing is like if you're going west to east mm-hmm. and you have to play an early game on the east coast, then it's even earlier. You know what I mean? So, so your just body clock is off. the east coast teams but, but think about it. If you're going, are better than the west coast But teams. think about it. If, if you're on the east coast flying west and you're going to play a game against Seattle that kicks off at 1 p.m. on the west coast, that's 4, four, four on the east coast. So it's not like your, time, your, your body clock's not messed up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Uh, I don't analysis. Know. Seattle. Whatever. Hashtag uh, analysis. <laughs> this is wild. Who would have thought before the season? Sunday Night Football, Green Bay at Buffalo, and the Bills are giving up 11 points. Yeah. To me, this feels like it's going to go one of two ways. Either Aaron Rodgers is going to is going to revert back to being really good again, and the Packers are going to win, or Buffalo is going to beat them 100 to three. That's the only way I see this game going. I'm going to go with Buffalo. I think I think I think this is going to be like the final nail in the coffin of the Packers season, even though we're only halfway through. I think this is going to be one where the Packers feel like they're starting to play better, and they find that motivation. They don't win, but they have a close-ish loss, like a seven-point, an eight-point loss to the Bills, where they're like, "Man, if we made a couple plays, we were there. We played a good team. Now we got our swagger back." And who knows if it actually is? I think they play them close enough, and, and this is. Again, for me, I just keep betting on the Packers. I bet against the, the New York teams. It's <laughs> killing me. So probably don't listen to me here, but I'm taking Green Bay plus the 11 points. By the way, once again, back-to-back weeks, we only have one matchup between both teams that are uh, above 500. That's the Giants-Seattle one. Wow. Crappy. Anyway, what's is, your lock of the crappy. week? You're 3-2-2. Two and two. My lock of the week, uh, I'm going with the Bears. I'm going with the Bears plus 9.5 against Dallas. Listen, last week against Detroit, Dallas was up 10-6. to six. Detroit was about to take the lead in the fourth quarter, okay? And they fumbled at the one, and Dallas ended up winning pretty big in that game, right? But that score did not indicate how close the game was against Detroit. And I think it could be a similar matchup here against the Bears where the game is going to be very close. It's going to be a, a close game because I don't think Dallas's offense is that good. To me, this is going to to me this is like a 13 to 10, 16 to 10, 16 13 type game. I don't know that the Bears are going to win. But they, I think they're going to easily cover nine and a half. Bears are my lock of the week. All right, I'm just two and five in locks. I've gone horribly here. Why is Tennessee only giving up two and a half points at Houston? I don't know. Does that scare you at all? That it's that. I mean, it, it does. should scare me, and it does. But I'm going to take it anyway. Okay. The Texans are not good. The Titans. The Titans aren't good either. I mean, they're fine. They're they're the team that every year is going to you know, win the division or win 10, 11, 12 games, make the playoffs, and then lose in the first round. But that mean, they, they feast on games like this. Like, this is the Titans' wheelhouse. They beat the Texans and Jaguars every year, and that's how they get those 11, 12 win seasons and make the playoffs. Okay. I feel like you're just trying to know. talk yourself even more into I it. I am. I don't know. Titans minus two and a half.
All right, that is uh, our locks of the week and our game picks for this week. Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Bye week for Kansas football this week, but they'll be back at it next Saturday. No game time yet for the Oklahoma State game. We'll find out that over the weekend. Of course, you'll be able to hear it with the Jayhawk Radio Network's coverage right here on KLWN. And Brandon McAnderson will be a part of that. Former Orange Bowl winning running back joins us now on the show. Kansas gets down 28-3 to at halftime against Baylor, and they come back. They storm back in the second half. So really a tale of two halves in that game. How do you kind of come away from that game and and really building off that in the Oklahoma game now into the bye week on on kind of what you expect from Kansas over these final four weeks? Yeah, that Baylor game in person, it felt like complete dominance, you know, and then watching that first half and then watching it on film, it was more about like the plays that they couldn't make. You know, they couldn't get off the field on third down. They were forced in third downs. They were forced in third and long. Either they couldn't tackle or they made like a mental coverage error. So it was just an uncharacteristic game for, you know, who Kansas has been this season. And then you saw in the second half, they did start to make more of those plays, started to make more of those third downs, got a couple fourth down stops and got right back in it. Um, So it was impressive in terms of them just keeping fighting. But I know they probably feel like that's a missed opportunity because they were not as overmatched as that first half would have made it seem. They were very even teams. You know, Kansas just didn't you know, perform to, to their capability. But once you saw that it could, you know, that was a game that they, they nearly won. Well, something that you brought up on this show a couple weeks ago was um, Kansas has had some troubles this year against screen passes. And, you know, that was, I don't know, one of the bigger plays of the game. Or in the early going, they get the sack, and it was, I don't know, third and 14, 16, something like that. And they convert the screen pass for, I believe, what was a touchdown. Uh, what has caused those issues for KU defending screen passes? And is that something that is fixable over a bye week? I think it is, but if you look at the what they're getting beat with, it's like a little bit of everything. You know, their corners are slight, so I've seen teams put big guys on their corners like Oklahoma did, and it made it hard for, you know, Melo and Jacoby to get off and make tackles. Uh, West Virginia did it more and just took, took advantage of the space between the linebackers and the corners. Um the Baylor game was more about, like, inattentiveness. You know, guys kind of just moseying away from their responsibilities and, you know, kind of having their eyes on the ball a little bit too much. So I think it's fixable, but it's not like it's just one thing. It seems like it's just something that, you know, if their D-line is not involved, because you'll see Lonnie Phelps, you know, get over and make plays. But that's really the the screen. is That's one of the reasons it affects them a lot is because they're not a high-pressure team. So, they're getting pressure with their defensive ends, which means their defensive line can't be a factor in, in the screen game because they're upfield getting pressure. So it's kind of like, you know, pick your poison kind of thing. It's how they defend. That's how they defend is using those 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 defensive ends to get pressure, which means there's just going to be space for screens. So I think it's just a matter of tackling and being locked into assignments because we've seen them get stops on it, but it's just been a it's just been a thorn in their side all season. Well, certainly Jason Bean has filled in admirably as a backup quarterback. You look at the stats, and and he's putting up big numbers. But I also think these past two and a half weeks have 
You've noticed some of the differences of, of what Jalen Daniels can do as, again, well as Jason Bean has played in, in relief. How much different do you think these last two games would have been if Jalen would have been healthy and, and playing in those games? Well, first I want to just say that, you know, it's it's awesome to have two quarterbacks mm-hmm. that can play. You know, and we've talked on this show, there's been many years where we've not been able to find one. So it's nice to have two with a lot of talent, a lot of confidence and you know, I think they're. It's hard to compare them because they're so different. They're just different players. You know, Jason is a is a guy that he's just very streaky. You know, like the the Baylor game is a great example. You know, he he looks uncomfortable. He's missing some throws. He's he's getting rid of it early when he's got time. You know, they're on they're backed up on the goal line. You know, he scrambles in the end zone, throws that two yarder to Fairchild, and then all of a sudden from then on he's red hot. <laughs> like nothing changed. He just got hot and starts hitting everything. And I think with Jalen, there's just less variance. You know, there's just, you know, he's, it, it's, it's more consistent. You'll see the ascension. You'll see his understanding of uh, his, his awareness of where the sticks are, of where the players are, of how he can make people miss and get down. They're just very different players. So I just want to make sure I give Jason Bean credit for, you know, stepping in and playing well and getting red hot and still keeping the offense moving. It just, it just seems like they're different. You know, they can't, that triple option, uh, attack where they were attacking seemingly every gap on the field. That's not there. Um, you know, in his defense, you know, Luke Grimsman, a guy that's not been available as much as you would like the last couple weeks, and he's a big part of the offense. Uh, so there's some, there's some parts missing, and then there's some parts where, you know, I don't think they do the same thing. They're just, I know the coaches say that they generally run the same offense, which I think they do. Uh, there's just, there's just points where they're not as effective with being as they are with Jalen. And then there's little things that probably Bean does better than Jalen. You know, he's been hitting that deep ball, I mean, with regular occurrence. So um, it's just a, just different players. And I, I think that Jalen just gives him a lot of confidence. because he's. A, I think the intangible parts are bigger, you know, the the, uh, the leadership parts and uh, the understanding of the moment parts. I think he just makes everybody comfortable and he keeps them on track. Yeah, I, I think all that was, was dead on accurate. Um Let's say Jalen Daniels is is eighty percent, and I don't know what his status is going to be, you know, for next week or moving forward or whatnot. But at that point, if he is seventy or eighty percent, I don't know what that indicates with the injury that he has. Like if he can take hits, if he can't, how it affects his arm strength, stuff like that. Um, but would they just be better off at that point playing Jason Bean if he can't be the Jalen that we remember prior to the injury? No, I, I think they need to. I think Jalen still needs to play. Um, you know, he only played four games last year. He only played what five this year. When did he get hurt in the sixth game? Yeah, five and um, a half. So he's only played five and a half games this year, and then his rookie year. I mean, the team was just not available. You know, not prepared to facilitate. I mean, he was seventeen years old. You know, the offensive line struggled. It was just hard. So he's just not had a chance to play a lot. And if he can play, even if he's at eighty-five percent, there's no risk for additional injury. He needs to play. Because you know, this guy's the future of the program, and I don't think any there's any questions about that. And as much as I know, coach, uh, this coaching staff wants to be present, and they want to get these seniors to a bowl game, and, and they're focused on the right now. But in terms of the future, I think you just want Jalen out there. You want him playing so he can, you know, continue to accumulate experiences and and learn from these defenses and and become a better player. You know, as the future quarterback of the program, so he's available. He needs to play, especially considering he probably does give him a best chance to win you know, if he's healthy enough to go. I think the most interesting part of it to me is, 
you know, what does the injury do with the running game part of it? Because I think, to me, the biggest difference with, with Jalen Daniels, the runner, versus Jason Bean, the runner, obviously Jason Bean's probably faster than Jalen, but Jalen, I feel like, is better at maybe breaking tackles. We heard the comment from Andy Kolnicki saying he has the vision of a running back. Maybe he's more willing to take hits, which... You know, you have the plus minus of maybe that is what leads to an injury there, but uh, is going to make you more effective in kind of that triple option game. And KU struggled in the running game against Baylor. I don't, I don't know how much you make of that with just Baylor's, you know, front. You have Siaki Ika up the middle who is just, I mean, that dude just takes people out of their running game just in general by himself. Um, but I guess... Uh, how much of that option game do you view as as being enhanced when when Jalen can come in there? You know, I think they'll be able to get to the read stuff. You know, he'll maybe be less inclined to keep it and run. You you know, they have all those option pitch guys. You know, always there, and I think that's a good option for him. You know, you could even have the RPO option where you're pulling it, and then maybe there's a throwing option out there. So there's different ways to get to some of the things they do effectively. And you know, from watching these guys that. Uh, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to do it because there's just, you know, there's just the uh, there's the ability to, to switch it up and, and to give him that opportunity to, you know, do things with his feet that Bean can't quite do. But I think the difference is most mostly in the passing game. You know, Bean is, he's a guy that can get through his progressions, but you can see he's kind of identifying where he wants to go with the ball on a pre-snap read and then looking specifically to get the ball in there. And he can stick it in there. I mean, we saw him do that a lot uh, down in Waco. I feel like Jalen is more of a full-field reader, and I think that's what they miss the most. I don't think that, you know, I think that your your ability to defend them, when Jalen's out there, you're defending every gap and every inch of the field. And I think that's what, what the primary difference is for me. This is the bye week for Kansas, and I, I, I'm generally curious because I think – a lot of times, you know, maybe from the outside, it's like, okay, this is just going to be the, the overall cure. We're in a bye week. We can fix everything. But obviously, there's only a, a limited amount of time and, and limited amount that you can actually work on during the bye. So I guess how much can you really change during the bye week? And, and what are you expecting to be maybe different or, or most improved for this team over the final four games? Hell, <laughs> I think when you get to the bye week in the middle of the season – you know, you're mostly thinking about getting people healthy, getting them some rest. Even, you know, guys that aren't on the injury report are banged up. You know, running backs, linemen. Just because you don't have a specific injury doesn't mean you're not banged up. So I think they just need to get healthy and have that week and, and get some guys back. I think that'll help in general. And then in terms of schematics, I don't – they're just not that kind of group. And they already do a lot already. I don't think they're trying to try to find a fix for something specific. They, they do a ton on offense. They do a ton on defense with uh, personnel groupings and different styles of play. So I don't see them changing much as much as, you know, the bye week is a chance to drill down on the fundamentals, have regular practices, and get healthy. And I think those are the kind of things you're looking at for where the team is today. Well, and, and what you mentioned there with the health I think is really interesting because you said, uh, like, it, it's not just about, well, can you get Jalen back or the the Kobe Bryant's of the world? Like, can you get those guys back? But I guess how many players just generally at this point in the year do you feel like are, are playing through some sort of pain or, or some sort of small, you know, uh, injury or, or something that's kind of bothering them? I think every regular starter. You know, you saw Kenny, he has that big brace on his uh, elbow, and you see that, 
you know, uh, Lonnie's always seems to be a little, you know, dealing with some kind of lower leg thing or, you know, there's just guy, you know, Barry Hill has his hand all taped up. And, you know, I think that this is just the product of football. You know, you just, during the season, you get banged up. And I think that pretty much every regular starter is dealing with something, you know, even if it's not serious, even if it's just body fatigue or, you know, just wear and tear. So this, this week is very important just for that just for taking the hits off your body, getting a chance to really hone in on your uh, rehabilitation, whether that be, you know, you know, hydrotherapy or massage therapy, whatever, you'll have time to do it and your body will have a time to recover. And these guys are young and, and they'll recover quickly. And I think it'll just help everyone, you know, get a little bounce back in their step and, and prepare for this last quarter of the season. They take on Oklahoma State next week. I don't know how much time you've you've had to to buckle down on on that game or anything, um, with it still being a, another week away. But as far as whether it's Oklahoma State or any of the remaining games left, does anything stick out to you about the schedule or, or any matchups from the KU perspective moving ahead? What I would say is the Baylor game is a good indication of what over the next four games. It's that you know. These teams that, that had a lot of preseason expectations have the ability to be very good and, and to put it on you, like Baylor did in that first half. But Kansas can play with any of them. They can compete with any of them, and if they're on their game, they can put them away. And that's what shows you in the second half is that, you know, Baylor looked like this team that Kansas was just overmatched physically, you know, and out, you know, out everything, and then all of a sudden they weren't. So I think it's a good indication of, this is a team that can compete with anyone. I don't think that the Big 12 has a specific standout team, you know, that, that can just come out and pound you. There isn't, there isn't really a, a major favorite. They're all going to be tough games. They're all going to be dogfights. And I think Kansas at the end will have a, a chance to win any of the four of them, hopefully more than one of them. Um, but I, I think the Baylor game is a good indication of where the team is compared to everyone else. Everyone kind of grouped together. And, and if your quarterback's playing well, you can win any given night. What you mentioned there with the Big 12 and, and every game seeming like it's so close. I know TCU is undefeated right now. Do, uh, are you expecting any teams from the Big 12 to, to make it through with, with one or zero losses and, and have a real shot at the college football playoff? Or do you think there's still going to be too much chaos for the likes of like TCU and Oklahoma State to make it through? I predict too much chaos. Um, you know, Oklahoma State plays that tough game against Texas, and then they're going to go to K-State. You know that's going to be a, a, you know, a, a dogfight. Then they're going to come back and go to Jay, come to come play the Jayhawks, and you know that's going to be a tough one. So these teams are just going through these gauntlets. You know, TCU is another team that's had a strange um, quarterback injury. I don't want to call it luck, but circumstance. I mean, I've never seen it quite like this. And you kind of wonder, you know, what impact that would have in any of these games, uh, specifically ours. I know we think about that a lot, but I'm sure K State's thinking about that. I'm sure OU's thinking about that, and, and they've just had an interesting little. Uh, series of games where the quarterbacks keep going down with injuries and it's to their benefit and you know more power to them but um, you know there's been a lot of luck and you know there's always a lot of luck when you're undefeated but there's been a lot of specific quarterback luck with them that you wonder how long that's going to last and I don't think their defense is particularly strong I think they've played well when they've had to Uh, so we'll see how it ends up I don't I don't imagine they'll be a big 12 team in the college football playoffs. Well, before we let you go, both your Las Vegas Raiders and Miami Heat are sitting with the exact same record right now, two and four, bit of a slow start for both. Who are you more confident in turning things around? And obviously, I, I feel like the Heat's the easy answer here, so I'm going to add the qualifier of compared to expectations. I, I was going to say the Raiders in either circumstance. Okay. Um, when I watch the Heat, 
the Heat won the most amount of games in the Eastern Conference last year, and no one knows how. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have any great players other than Jimmy Butler, and they didn't you know have. I mean, Bam Adebayo was out most of the year. Then they come in this year, kind of the same issues. They don't have a lot of pop on the perimeter, and I know they'll figure it out. But it doesn't feel like a championship team, and that's weird to say for a team that got to Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals last year. And you're still like, are the Heat good? And then you watch them this year, and you're still kind of having the same questions. I think the Raiders have a lot of front, a lot of high end talent, and the revelation to me has been that they can close games with Josh Jacobs now. And so all that, all the worries about Derek Carr playing with the lead and being a dink and dunk chump and not really taking advantage of opportunities, not using his lead receivers. It's just like in the background now. <laughs> you know, like if, the th- if things go right, it should be Josh Jacobs taking him home. And that's happened two weeks in a row, um, uh, two games in a row, I should say. So it's, it's a thing where I think they're turning it around because their identity is changing. And it's not just Josh Jacobs. I think Josh Jacobs had 85 yards before contact last week, which was, his, was a career high for him. So I think the offensive line is playing really well. So I, it's a good combination of things. And for someone that's kind of been pessimistic on Derek Carr pretty much his whole time in a Raider uniform, I'm I'm excited that he's not the only closer that we have. Yeah, I thought I thought you were going to go with the Heat just because of the track record. But I I mean I I feel like everybody in the AFC West, like the Chargers, they feel like they're worse than their record. The Broncos feel like they're somehow worse than even their their two and and four, two and five record. The Raiders feel like they're better. You have the Pass rush talent on the outside, what you mentioned with Josh Jacobs, Derek Carr, and Devontae Adams. I, I can get on board with that. Yeah, but. and they got some schedule stuff too, Colts and Jaguars. And so they've got some 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 winnable games coming up. Yep. Well, BMAC, I appreciate the time as always, man, and enjoy your off week. And uh, looking forward to hearing you on the call next week against Oklahoma State. All right, man. Thanks for having me. That was Brandon McAnderson, former KU Orange Bowl winning running back, member of the Jayhawk Radio Network, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down. Two to go. We've got KU Mailbag. We've got Sports Stock Market. Uh, some more KU Basketball Talk. All sorts of stuff coming up later throughout the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Again, high school football coming at you tonight. Lawrence High on KLWN and KLWN.com at 7 o'clock. Free State over on 92.9 The Bowl. And Bowl929.com with Nick and Sam Speck on the call. Hank and Matt Llewellyn will be on the call for the Lawrence High game. And if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, check out Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. They're located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. We've got a, another KU mailbag today. I had to push it a bit to a Friday, but some fun questions once again. So with that being said, let's get into the first one. This is from Chase. He asked, this was this was quite the chore for us to do, uh, but I like the question. <laughs> Put together your dream team of KU football from Gill through Miles. So the Turner Gill through less Miles regimes. How many games do they win? <laughs> All right, that'll, that'll be a, a different question in its own. Um, so let's let's go through this position by position. I don't want to take too much time on each position, but quarterback, sure, yeah. there's really only one answer, I think. Carter Stanley, the, yeah. the senior season he had. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to throw some other names out there, like Michael Cummings was good for a bit of time. I guess you could throw Jalen Daniels out there. Yeah, I was about to say, technically you could have Jalen Daniels. But, like, the Jalen Daniels that you're getting, because I guess it all depends. Like, are you getting this version of Jalen Daniels? Then That's yes. true. But 
I'm viewing it as you're getting the less miles version of Jalen Daniels, who was a 17-year-old true freshman, and that guy was not as good as the senior version of Carter Stanley. So I think Carter Stanley is a pretty clear answer there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Carter Stanley has been the best quarterback in KU history since Todd Reising, besides Jalen Daniels, what he was able to do. So I, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I think you got to go with starter Carter. Yeah, yep. Uh, running back. This one's kind of it. they got some good names that have come in here. I mean, you have yeah. the talent of, like, a Khalil Herbert. Um it depends. I don't know if we're going starter or if he wanted us to do like a full, you know, depth chart or whatever. But uh, <laughs> James Sims did a ton of production for this team. But I think if, if you're going with one guy, like, it, I don't know, I guess you could do. Hmm. No, no, Devin Neal wouldn't have coincided with the end there. Uh, yeah, Puka Williams. That has to be the answer. Yeah, yeah. Puka obviously got drafted. Or, yeah. Did he get drafted? No, but he, he ended got, up on the Bengals. Uh, I don't know if he's Bengals. still with them in like yeah. practice squad or something. Yeah, but just the, the talent that he had and what he was able to do with the ball, I, I think that's a good choice, too. Khalil Herbert, obviously, really good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became a Heisman candidate <laughs> Excuse me, at Virginia Tech, right? So uh, he's a good option. And, and James Sims kind of slept on. He was, he, was a, he was a real workhorse guy. Yeah, he was. So I, I think those would be the three that if you were making a full depth chart, Puka Williams would be the starter, I think, pretty hands down for me at those two positions. Receiver. This one I will give multiple names because you, you do start more than one receiver. Steven Sims is the obvious one. Put up all the career numbers. Yeah. Um, outside of that, it's it's a bunch of guys that I think are pretty close together and maybe had a pretty productive season, but maybe not like 1,000 yards or maybe not like over you know two, three, four years of production. But you got... Like Andrew Parchment, Stephon Robinson, Laquiviante Gonzalez, Nick Harwell, Nigel King, Dalen Charlotte. I think you could even throw Tony Pearson in there because he's kind of a, a gadget player that you'd be able to use multiple uh, uses out Kwame, of. Kwame Lasseter. Kwame Lasseter. Yeah. But I'm trying to think because Kwame Lasseter, his junior year, I think he was all Big 12 honorable mentions. That would have been Les Miles last year. So he was still good. But the best year of Kwame Lasseter was the yeah. first year of Lance Leipold. But That's he would true. still be in that discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I would put him almost in the same tier as a lot of these other guys. Yeah. But I do think Steven Sims and Andrew Parchment are the top two. Yeah, Parchment was really good. The, yeah. the senior year of um, Carter Stanley, I think was Parchment's junior year, came over. He was awesome. Stephon Robinson, for me, would be on there. I think I would give it to Laquiviante Gonzalez. I know there was some off-the-field stuff that ended up making that not work, but he was really versatile. You used him in the return game. He was really good with the ball in his hands, and he put up pretty big numbers. For that team, uh, I, yeah. I would be tempted by Dalen Charlotte, and there's always the idea of if he was with a coach who actually didn't like hate him, like David <laughs> Beatty, then maybe he would have put up big numbers for the team. So I don't know. Uh, tight end, some pretty good options. Tim Beer was all Big Twelve honorable mention. Jace Sternberger didn't really do it at Kansas, but he ended up going to Texas A&M and. Uh, the talent was clearly there. Ended up making it with the uh, Green Bay Packers. So, I yep. guess throw him out there. But that wouldn't be the pick for what he did at Kansas. Ben Johnson was pretty solid for a few years. Jimmy Mundine, again, this one's easy for me. I, I think it's Mundine, hand down. Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at Jay Sternberger, kind of like you mentioned, if we're if we're looking at yeah, strictly what he did at Kansas, then you probably wouldn't want to go with him. But obviously, the upside was certainly there, right? Mm-hmm. So, he would be an interesting pick, I think. Uh and Ben Johnson was a solid blocker as well, you know. So if you were depending on what offense you were going to run, and if you wanted some blocking tight ends, mm-hmm. offensive line is a little tougher because Kansas hasn't always had <laughs> the best offensive line. I'm going to get a little creative here. Offensive tackle, this one's actually kind of easy. Uh, Tanner Hawkinson drafted into the NFL. Hakeem Adeniji drafted into the NFL. Okay, boom, both by the Cincinnati Bengals. Funny enough, yeah, the Bengals love Kansas I know Jayhawks for, for whatever reason. Lassiter. Yeah, um, offensive guard. 
DeAndre Banks, I think, earned uh, All-Big 12 honorable mention in there. And then, I so I don't have a center pick because Mike Nowitzki was obviously, he would be the easy one, but he was after Les Miles, so he's outside of this time frame. But there's two other guards that earned, I believe, All-Big 12 honorable mention in this span. In, and sometimes they played maybe other positions, like at the tackle, kind of used in different spots. Same with DeAndre Banks. Like, he played tackle at different points, but he also played guard, so I'm just putting him there because you have Adeniji and, and Hawkinson. Ngalu Fushi Malohi. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Also, <laughs> Dwayne Zlatnik. One of them is going to play guard with Banks. The other's playing center. I don't really care who. I don't really have many other options to go with here. Yeah, certainly the strength of your offensive line is going to be on the outside <laughs> with your tackles. Uh, the rest of it may be a little questionable, but you know you're going to have some you're going to have some question marks when you mm-hmm. when you're looking at the what KU produced over the that 12 year span basically. Defensive end. There's actually a lot of good ones. Dorns Armstrong's the easy one. And then after that, uh, Jake Laptad was solid. Azur Kamara yep. made it to the NFL, solid. Victor Simmons put up solid numbers. Um, Michael Reynolds put up a lot. I, I was looking back at He put up a lot better numbers than I remember, like over 14 tackles for loss one year. Ben Goodman was pretty solid as well. I think I'd go Dorrance Armstrong, Michael Reynolds as the two starters, and then any of the mix of the other guys. I don't know, maybe even like Marcus Harris, super talented, but then transferred away to, I believe, Auburn. So, I don't know. Those would be the ones that I would look at there. Yeah, I think you can make a case for Azur Kamara, too, because yeah. he was more of a versatile-type uh, DN guy for, for KU. Uh, but, yeah, obviously, Dorrance Armstrong is going to be kind of the, the crown jewel of your D-line here, uh, along with uh, Michael Reynolds. or And, yeah, Jake Laptad and Azur Kamara, those are, those are two guys that were more versatile guys. Like, Laptad, I think, was a much better run defender than mm-hmm. he was maybe pass rusher. So, maybe if you wanted to pair him up with Dorrance Armstrong, that way you kind of got a little bit of both. But... But yeah, the D-line's really not looking too bad on the outside. No. And even in the middle, too. No, and, and I guess this also depends how you play. Like in a four, like Michael Reynolds in a 3-4 is an outside linebacker, which is what he played his last two years. But if we are playing a 4-3, then he would be a D-end, which is what I counted him at. But again, Michael Reynolds' his last two years, this is totally forgotten. He had 24.5 tackles for loss, 13.5 sacks over his last two years. So uh, underrated player. Yeah, that's there. pretty solid. Yeah. Defensive tackle, Daniel Wise, obvious one there. This one's a little tougher after that. Um, Jelani Brown had an all-Big 12 honorable mention season. Keon Stowers was solid up the middle for you as kind of a, a run stopper. Uh, you had the one year of Sam Burt where he was a good run stopper. Maybe you throw him in there. Dejon Terry was really talented, ended up transferring away. I forget if that was Tennessee or maybe I mixed up him and, and Marcus Harris. I don't know. Um, anybody stand out to you there, the defense tackle besides Wise? Yeah, I mean, you got Wise, and then Keon Sowers is an interesting one, kind of in the same boat as, like, a Jake Laptad type, where I think he was a much better run stopper than he was pass rusher. So, again, if you're, if you've, if you've got There's guys a like... use for that. Yeah. Exactly. If you've got guys like Dorrance Armstrong and Daniel Wise to be more of your pass rusher types, you might need a, a guy, just a big dude to stuff in the middle, you know? So, mm-hmm. he kind of jumped out at me a little bit. I would throw in, by the way, just like a utility player, Tobin Oprum. You could play him on the D line, linebacker, fullback. Yeah, I was wondering you where you were going to sprinkle him in because, mm-hmm. like, you could put him at running back. I yeah, mean, that's, he seriously. did play there for a couple years. Just put him right? on the team. I don't know where. <laughs> we'll just put him a little bit of everywhere. Linebacker, this one's pretty good. Ben Heaney and Joe Denny, and that's going to give you all sort of athleticism. Steven Johnson was really good, too. Um, Drew Prox, prior to a bunch of injuries, was yeah. pretty good. He'd get an honorable mention, but I don't think on the same level of those first three guys. Honestly, honorable mention for Kyron Johnson because you could, uh, unfortunately, his best year as the defensive end was under the Leipold era, so I can't count him as a, a defensive end, but honorable mention as a linebacker because you could use him in a lot of different ways, linebacker safety, pass rush situations, that he would get in there. But he need Deneen and Johnson. I actually like the way this defense is going. Yeah, and Drew Prox is one of the guys that 
looking back is like, oh man, you wonder like what if, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he looked like he was going to be a, one of the leading tacklers for Kansas for a long time, and he just kept dealing with injuries, and so. He's a guy that kind of like, okay, if he stays healthy, that could be, you know, a big what-if moment for KU. And he could, I think he could easily be alongside Ben Heaney and Joe Deneen based on what he could have potentially done. But it can, I guess it's kind of hard to gauge that when you're looking back at this team. And then, and then yeah, Cameron Johnson's definitely an interesting one because we obviously he's got incredible speed and that could be very useful on a team like this, you know. So those two guys, I, I would have really, really liked to have seen what Drew Prox could have done at KU. It's, a, it's unfortunate that the injuries happened as they did. Uh, corner Chris Harris has to be on there at a, a season or two with with Turner Gill, uh, Dexter McDonald, Jacory Shepard. Those are drafted guys, and then Hassan Defense was like all Big Twelve honorable mention a couple. Yeah, times. Yeah, he had a really good year. Yeah, yeah. Karan Prunty, talent wise, there, but I don't know how much you put on that. Um, yeah, the defense is looking pretty nice. It is actually. <laughs> I think safety too. I mean, Kenny Logan could be on there. Even though he was a bit younger with with these previous regimes, Bradley McDougald, he's still in the NFL, so. He would get up there. You have some good uh, tackling safeties. Isaiah Johnson, Mike Lee, Bryce Tornadin that you can choose from. Cassius Sendish yeah. probably deserves a, a And Sendish could here. be a guy that you could play at corner too, right? He could kind of play both both positions, like mm-hmm. safety, nickelback type guy. Yeah, I think maybe same for like Tornadin. I, I could go through the specialists. I don't know. Gabriel Rui, <laughs> Trevor Pardula, those are probably obvious ones. If you want a returner, DJ Bashirs. Kenny Logan, Quiv Gonzalez, Kwame Laster, punt return. I don't know. I think those are good. So how many how many wins does does that team have? Honestly, the defense is like pretty solid, yeah, I think. That's a lot of NFL players. <laughs> yeah. The defense is not bad. Uh, I think you're just gonna run into an issue with your O line and being able to score. So I don't know. In the Big Twelve, I mean this, this is like still... an all star team though. Yeah. Eight wins? Is that too much? That feels too high for me. It does? For sure, yeah. You're not going to be able to score enough points, I don't think. But, I mean, you I had— I think you're going to win five games. The, the Carter-Stanley offense is senior year. You have most of those receivers, plus Steven Sims. You have Puka Williams. So like, Yeah, I guess that's true. But you have a better tight okay. end. You have a better offensive line. So, like, and that team put up—I don't know. They, they only put up, like, 23, 24 points per game. But they, with a better offensive line and, and tight end, maybe they're at, at 30, 30-something. 30 but, I mean, the, the defense— The defense? The, the defense could be, like— I think they could win eight or nine games. Two or three defense in the, in the conference. Yeah. For sure, easily. Yeah. Right? I think they went and you put up 30 points per game with the top two or three defense. Eight or nine games. I, I just don't think you're going to be putting up that much points. But, you know, maybe maybe I'm just forgetting the glory of, of, of starter Stanley. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, we spent a lot of time on that first question. Uh, this <laughs> one's from Joey. If you could guarantee one of the freshmen would average 15 points per game, who would it be? I think it has to be either Ernest Uday or Zuby Edgefer because that would mean you've definitely solved your the biggest issue on the team, which mm-hmm. is your five spot, right? If you've got one of those guys rolling in, dropping 15 a game. Obviously, they're going to be your starting big man then, right, at that point. So, I think, I mean, outside of Grady Dick, obviously. But the thing is, like, if you're going to guarantee a guy to score 15, mm-hmm. like, Grady Dick can end up averaging 15 a game anyway. Yes. Right? That's the so thing. It's, so, it's like, to guarantee one of one of them, give me Ernest Uday or Zuby Edgefer because then you know, you know for sure that your five spot is absolutely secured. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. You could say, well, if Grady Dick is guaranteed to average 15, then you feel a lot better about your shooting. But you're right. I think... Okay, if he doesn't average 15, he probably averaged 12 or 13. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, yeah. it, it's not as big of a drop-off. Now, if you said MJ Rice, that could be interesting too because then if you have both freshman wings are going off, like then that's something super interesting. But yeah, I think you want to lock down the center spot. Uh, this yeah. one from Paul. 
outside of Grady Dick, who will lead Kansas in three-point attempts this season? This is tough because I don't I don't really know if anybody knows the answer to this. Like, I think if you asked Bill Self this question, he probably wouldn't have a really great answer for you. So I, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say, like, I guess maybe Jalen? <laughs> maybe Jalen or, or Kevin McCord? I don't know. This is a tough one. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. The second and third best three-point shooters on this team might be, like, Zach Clements and Cam Martin. But... Like, for instance. But they, they're not going to take a lot of attempts. That's the thing. Marcus Morris, his last year at Kansas, shot 34% from three. He was all big. He was big 12 player of the year. He took two per game. Perry Ellis was taking, like, one and a half, two, two and a half per game, um, shooting, like, 40% from three. Big men at KU don't shoot a ton of threes. And, yes, maybe it would be more tailored this year to those guys. At most, Zach Clemens might be taking three a game. That's not going to be second on the team in, in three-point attempts this season. And that doesn't even take into account... Like, what if Zach Clements only plays 10 to 15 minutes? Then you're yeah, only exactly. getting one and a half, two threes per game yeah. at that point. So I, I think it would have to be, yeah, one of those two guys, either Jalen Wilson or Kevin McCuller, just by nature of being on the floor that long. Yeah, yeah. And obviously Jalen's going to be your go-to scorer probably. So late in the game, he's probably going to be the guy with the I ball think that's looking the answer, to yeah. take some deep shots. Uh, this one from Jim. If you could guarantee 100% health of a player not named Jalen Daniels for the rest of the season, who do you go with? I think you have to go with Lonnie Phelps. Uh, I, so I don't know if this question: Are we including guys that were all, have like are previously injured? Because then you could maybe throw yeah. in Daniel Highshaw. Right. I think yeah. The 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 loss of Highshaw is bigger than I thought. Like I, I knew he was a really good player, and that would yeah. certainly hurt. But you thought because of how deep the running back room was, they could be okay. And they're still they don't kind of are, are, but they, are. they just they, they don't are, have that style of yes, running back. They are it definitely hurts that them. unique style for sure. Yeah. So I think I think you'd have to look at Lonnie Phelps or Daniel Highshaw probably is your top two. Or maybe even you could argue for someone like Earl Bostic, right, to keep protecting the uh, your your quarterback there. So you got a couple options here, but to me, I think it's definitely either Lonnie Phillips or, or Daniel Hyshaw. I might even go Mike Nowitzki, having the guy in the middle of the offense that, you know, I, I would assume he does a lot with the protections and whatnot. But yeah, Lonnie Phelps to me is is kind of the obvious answer there because the difference when he's on versus when you have like the Oklahoma game is, is pretty stark for the defense and the defensive line to me. Last one, this one from Brett. Would you trade off Kansas losing in the second round? In basketball, for them to win a bowl game in football, so that means make a bowl game and win a bowl. Okay, game. I don't, I don't think I would, and here's why: assuming KU does make a bowl, they're they're going to have a decent shot of winning already, just by nature of being in the bowl, right? So yeah. they basically have a coin flip chance at that point, right? Whereas with KU basketball, like you really want to ensure they make a deep run in the tournament. So I, I don't know that I would make this trade. Now, if this question was phrased as, would you, if you could guarantee a bowl win for KU football? Instead of just for them to maybe win, maybe win a bowl game, then I might, I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like I might go. But what do you mean? So like the question is, would you trade off Kansas losing in the second round of in basketball for them to win a bowl game in football? Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, is it saying to automatically win? Yeah, yeah. It's saying that you would make a bowl and win the bowl at that point. But again, if I pick, if I, if I go instead and say no and just have Kansas basketball try to make a deep run of the tournament. K football could still win their bowl game, right? Correct, but you don't know if they're going to make one. And that's the thing; you get the, the guarantee there. I don't think I would I would take that trade because you are just one win away from bowl eligibility. Even if it does seem a little stark with the schedule, um, like you said, if you make a bowl, it's going to be kind of a 50-50 proposition. And I don't know; this Kansas team might lose in the second round or Sweet Sixteen anyway because it's hard to to make back-to-back -back runs in the NCAA tournament. Baylor won the title the year before last year; they get a one seed and they lose in the second round. Like it just. It happens historically, but yeah, I think I would take my chances. Um, 
on both of those. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, Ask me, me again in like two or three weeks. <laughs> find out. All right, that is our KU mailbag for the week. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We are going to take a timeout. When we come back, sports stock market. Did you know that on our website, KLWN.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Joined now by John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant and Rivals KU with a bye week this week, working into the Oklahoma State game next week. Um, I guess first things first, and I did want to get into some recruiting, especially with this week being an opportunity for the KU coaches to, to kind of get out there and, and go talk to some different players and whatnot. Um, Jalen Daniels and his status against Oklahoma State, uh, I, I don't know if you're expecting him to play or not, but what's kind of your expectation for, for that KU quarterback position for the, the game against the Cowboys and kind of moving forward this season? Yeah, Derek, I, I still think it's up in the air. I really do. I, I'm, I'm, if there's been a press conference, right, that is that that I've been most, you know, interested to listen to, it will be this Monday with Lance Leipold to see what he has to say. So, you know, if you've noticed, I know you've been at the press conferences, but when you notice when he's asked about that, he jumps pretty quick to let you know he is not going to talk about it, and he is not. <laughs> He doesn't have he doesn't have any updates, so you you can tell this is going to be a touch and go thing. I think it's one of those things where they don't know when he's going to be back, but there's maybe something trending in the direction that at some point he will be back, and the question is going to be when you know hopefully that he does. Do you think that you know this is a better opportunity for? Uh, the bye week being this late in the season to to kind of line up with, with some of these injuries for KU, or do you think it would have been better if the bye week was a few weeks ago to to maybe I don't know have them be healthier and and maybe avoid some of these long term injuries? God, Derek, I tell you, I think it's coming at a good time, and I and let, let me give you a couple examples. Kansas State came off their bye week the previous week, right? They come out of their bye week and they come out and get just banged up last week, so. They've got all kind of question marks. Look at Oklahoma State. They're really banged up. They had their bye week, I want to say it was week four. They had theirs early. So these guys are just going eight straight. I mean, they're going through. They get no break. Their quarterbacks hurt. they got defensive players that are banged up, and, and they have no break. So I kind of like it for KU because, you know, listen, in the end, and I know this is the talk, everybody wants more than one win. But everybody's really looking for that one win, right, to get to that bowl game, to become bowl eligible. So I think with the bye week coming now, it kind of gets you through, gets you hopefully gets you guys some healed up. And now you say, all right, we got four games to go. Let's go out and go after it. We're coming off our bye. we got some you know, chance to rest and heal up, and, and let's go after these next four like it was the first four. Yeah, and I'm curious, too, like – Obviously, we know about the Jalen Daniels and Kobe Bryant and the Daniel Highshaw and the, the big season-ending injury for, for Highshaw or the long-term injuries maybe for some of those guys. 
Um, obviously, we saw the Lonnie Phelps injury kind of limit him against Oklahoma. But I guess how helpful do you think the bye is, not just for, for you know, those players like Jalen and Kobe, but for players that maybe we don't even know are injured right now and, and maybe playing through some stuff? Oh, excuse me, Derek. It's, it's huge because, listen, I've, I talk to coaches at other schools, all right? There's nobody healthy right now. Okay, there's nobody sitting there going, boy, we're really fresh and good right now. This is the time of year where everybody's got the nicks and the broses. I mean, you had Mike Ford come out of the game last week at offensive line. You had Earl Bostick come out of the game. He ended up going back in. You've had other guys come off the field. It's just the normal wear and tear that you're getting in the season. And there's some guys that are banged up right now. They get a little bit of a rest with the bye week, but they're probably going to come back and have to play banged up. Yeah, and I, you know, we, like I said, we saw it with Lonnie Phelps a couple weeks ago. You just wonder who else is is dealing with stuff right now. So obviously, this is a bye week for for KU football. I'd imagine that's allowing them to kind of get out there and I don't know, maybe check out some some Kansas high school playoff games this week or whatnot. Um, how does the bye week usually go as as far as the the recruiting cycle with the season? Yeah, well. Everybody does it different, but I know this is a big week for KU. They've got everybody out on the road. Um, I talked to Keaton Kubeka, the wide receiver who's committed out of Texas down in Austin. Lance Leipold was at his game last night. Okay, Scott Fuchs was out in California talking to an offensive lineman named Buffalo Cruz. Great name. Um, he, the kid's got to choose KU because we got to be able to say Buffalo Cruz for the next couple years. Um, then Fuchs is on a plane. He's going to Tennessee to talk to an offensive lineman named Barrett Maddox today. He's going to watch him play tonight. So these guys are all over, man. They're jumping on planes. I think they're going to be at high school games, some JUCO games Thursday, Friday. Then I think they're going to be at a lot of JUCO games on Saturday. Well, how is, I'm curious, the 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 start that Kansas had and all the buzz they created and the most wins in over a decade here having college game day, being ranked at one point, how have you seen the the interest for recruiting at Kansas, whether it is locally here in Kansas or from guys who are out of state? Have you seen just, I don't know, the interest levels kind of rise up for this team? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Everybody's taken notice. Um, when I talk to the guys, I talk to a running back out in California, and he's you know he's got Oregon and a lot of good offers, and he's like, Hey, I watch game day, right? I watch game day. I watched them against TCU. I love what they do. He said, talk about setting up an official visit. I think it's opened the doors. You know, I, maybe the best way to put this was Lance Leipold said back during the game day experience, he was talking to somebody at ESPN, and they said, hey, this is basically an infomercial, three-hour infomercial for your program, okay? You're going to have three million people watching this. So you have players that maybe Kansas couldn't get on, or maybe players who really weren't aware of KU's football program and what they're doing, they got to see that. And that is a that is a huge boost to the program. And, and maybe they don't get some of these kids, but there are going to be kids who maybe didn't have Kansas on their radar who looked at that and went, hey, I'm kind of interested in these guys. The uh, the running back out in California told me, he said, hey, I, you know, I got on, started looking at them, and – started focusing on them, watched their offense. And, and so th- that's, that's the type of thing, Derek, they wouldn't have gotten without that. Do you think it's, it's going to have a bigger effect, the start to this season, on this class in 2023? Or is that, 
you know, something where maybe that class is a little bit more wrapped up where it would have a bigger effect on, on maybe the future classes, like the class of 2024 and 2025? Well, I think it's going to have a – this can go a couple different ways. That's a great question. So 2023, you got a lot of kids. They've already kind of set their top fives or their top threes and fours, whatever it's going to be. So Kansas may have trouble on some guys getting back in who've already kind of predetermined who their schools are. But I still think there's some 2023s who are open that are now going to look at Kansas. All right. Now, here's the other thing. They're definitely going to hit the portal again as well. I don't think you're going to see as many numbers through the portal as we did last year but there's going to be some. Well, now, does having success possibly work a little bit in the opposite direction against you, right? Because what do portal guys want to do? They want to play, right? That's what portal guys, they don't care as much about where they're going. As long as they know wherever they're going, they have a better opportunity to get on the field or a different circumstance than where they're coming from. Well, you look at KU, all of a sudden, you're winning, so now maybe portal guys see KU different as, okay, can I get on the field here? Because that's always been a big pitch from Kansas coaches, just not this staff, staffs before this where they say, you can come here and play early or a recruit that thinks I can get on the field there early. Well, now all of a sudden you've you got a five-win team here now that returns quite a few starters in spots. So it'll be interesting if kids still look at Kansas at this place, I can go play right away. Yeah, and that's that's certainly interesting, and and I'm curious what you think the the long term portal strategy is going to be in terms of like this past year, they brought on mostly kids who had you know three four years left of of eligibility with the portal, and I know Lance Leipold talked about that the other week that that was like a designed purpose for them to do, and then they did bring on a couple guys like a Lorenzo McCaskill who maybe would be in for one year to kind of add something to the two deep or, or somebody who can contribute and play right away. Do you view what they would do in the portal this next year, maybe more of those guys because they do have a bunch of guys who, who would be around for a couple years, or do you think that is going to be a continued strategy every year with the portal to bring on guys that do have two, three, four years left to play? No, I think, I think they're going to go case by case. And I think if they find the player – Derek, who, who they say, this guy can help us, but he can just help us for one year. That's one year that's going to help you keep building the program, right? It might allow you to redshirt a guy or develop another guy. So I still think Kansas, I don't think they're going to set a cap on what exactly they're looking for. If a guy comes up who can flat out play and he's got one year left and they're looking down their board and they're saying, hey, this is a position that can really be boosted for one season with this guy. Let's go get him. I don't. I think KU, I think they look at who can help now and obviously who can help in the future, but I don't think they pigeonhole themselves into a situation where they say, we're not taking any guys with this amount of eligibility left. We're talking with John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So what is on the ledger? Anything we should be of note of as, as far as maybe any individual players or, or any, I don't know, time periods upcoming that are of note for KU football recruiting uh, that we should be on the lookout for here relatively soon? Well, Derek, this, this is a big weekend, okay? So it started yesterday. It will continue through today, and it will continue through tomorrow. And I think what they're doing is they're kind of going out and they're doing the cross-checking. They're making sure that the guys that they go see look the part like they're advertised, that they play, they're going to watch them play, and
And then I think you're going to see the coaches come back. And then next week, I think you'll see a strategy like a, a the board kind of getting put together or more finalized, if you will, on how they're going to start attacking official visits. Okay, I've had a couple guys say that they plan on taking some official visits, possibly for the Texas game, possibly for the Oklahoma State game. So, you know, and listen, with better crowds, better atmospheres, you may in the past there's been a lot of KU staffs that say, you know, we really don't want to bring guys in during the season, okay? Because when you've got 28,000 people at a football game, sometimes coaches say, hey, let's bring our guys in in December and not in front of the crowds that we're having. Well, what you've seen from KU here, and the, the crowds have been great. I give it up to the KU fans. You know, if they've got good attendance these next two games, hey, bring a couple official visitors in because they can see that game day atmosphere. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what the – uh, attendance is if they can sell out again for for Oklahoma State this Saturday. Um, I, I do have one more question before I let you go here. Uh, the the current class that came in, you know, obviously you're not seeing a ton of true freshmen on the field for KU, which is a good sign of of where they've gotten the program and whatnot. Uh, are are there any you know young true freshmen that maybe we're not seeing on the field right now that you think? are making good inroads, though, with KU and, and are setting themselves up for, for maybe good playing time in, in future years? You know, Derek, I don't know that I have the answer for that right now, and I have asked around about that, okay? But I will tell you, and to your point, for the first time in a long time, right, true freshmen are doing what they're supposed to do at KU, and that's redshirting and getting stronger and learning the system, getting a chance to, you know, focus on some academics and, and and get used to the atmosphere of being a college student athlete. In the past, I can't tell you how many times true freshmen have been thrown out on the field, okay, whether it's an injury or some, some kid's just not playing well, or they just say, hey, just, just throw the kid out there. Well, these kids are getting a chance to do what they're supposed to do, right? This is what happens at, like, Ohio State and Alabama. Those true freshmen, unless they're special, they're redshirt. They're getting in the strength and conditioning. They're, they're learning the system. And then the next year, they've got a familiarity, and they're getting ready to play. So I like the fact that all of these kids look like right now they're going to redshirt. Yeah, that's, that's something really good for the, the development of the program. Well, John, I appreciate the time as always, and uh, have a good off weekend here. And uh, see you next week at, at some press conferences. You got it. Thanks, Derek. That was John Kirby of Jayhawk Slant joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We've got some KU basketball talk, a little high school football talk, and our RCST replay coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN's RCST. 5 o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. we got high school football coming at you tonight in the playoffs. Lawrence High here on KLWN Free State over on 92.9 The Bowl. Earlier this week was KU men's basketball media availability. We played for you the Bill Self press conference and the audio, but wanted to kind of circle back around to that. We're now six days away from the first game in their exhibition next Thursday against Pittsburgh State and kind of go over maybe some of the best of quotes from what Bill Self had to say. The first was the very first thing kind of asked of him of, you know, asking how do you defend the title and how this team is is just different and it is just kind of a whole new ball game this year. We'd like to think that we're in a position to try to defend a championship. Uh, I think the biggest thing we got to realize first before we can even think like that, we, we got to be in the game first. 
and what puts us in the game is, in my opinion, is you know this team has some shortcomings as of today that hopefully we'll, we'll be much better at you know by conference season that we're going to have to learn how to uh, uh, win by making somebody else play worse. And maybe it's defense, maybe it's stealing extra possessions, you know, maybe it's uh, 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 how, to, how, to, how to create a way where even if you're stale offensively that you can uh, uh, create some opportunities that would be easier baskets than playing against five on five. I, I, th I think there's a lot of things, Matt, that we have to do to put ourselves in a position to be good enough to have to defend. And I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, and I'm not being negative. That's just factual. Uh, uh, I do like our team. I do think we have talent. I, I do think we're going to get better as, as, as we get older. But, you know, you take for, for granted some experience. And, and we basically return two guys that have played any meaningful minutes uh, off a team that won a championship last year. So it, it's a whole new ball game. And I think one common theme you heard there that you're going to hear in a lot of these other questions and throughout the year is that they have some shortcomings now, but come January, February, March, some of those might be strengths or no longer shortcomings because you have a lot of talent. It's just going to take some time with this team. Won't be as, I guess, easy right off the bat for this team. Now, if they do start off really hot, then that's got to be a really good sign of things to come for KU. One thing that could be different is maybe the playing style a little bit. Certainly, they're going to be very wing dependent as they were a season ago, but it sounds like Self wants them to play even faster. Now, they were dynamic in transition last season. They were a pretty fast team, but they, by self standards especially, but they weren't like ultra fast. They didn't take a lot of threes, though. It was like 23 point attempts per game. They were on the lower end of three point attempts per game over the last, you know, handful plus of years under Bill Self. But sounds like this team going to have to, you know, even though there are questions about who the shooters are going to be, they're going to need to take more three-point shots because maybe you don't have as much of an internal presence, and that's something that Bill Self mentioned earlier this week. We want to play fast. We need to score before the defense gets set. Let's just, but but uh, how well we shoot it will probably be a big determin, uh, a big determination on how fast we play, uh, because this team will, um, this team should shoot more threes than last year's team, and uh, should, and if we do that then you know you need to make 35% as a team or 36 in order to probably play fast or probably play efficient enough that warrants playing fast and shooting early so i think a big key to our team is just making shots certainly whenever you have a new group new team and you lose a bunch of not just players players from a title team starters but guys who are all americans all conference players uh, upperclassmen seniors juniors whatever you not just have the question of who's going to fill in for the production, but who's the leader of the team going to be. And it seemed like it would be obviously Jalen Wilson. Um, he is a very good vocal leader and has been that even in past year's teams when he hasn't been maybe the senior of the team or whatnot. But that's obviously always a question when you have a lot of young guys and a new team in, in tow. Here is Bill Self talking about the leadership of the team. I think that Jalen's voice is probably uh, uh, the best uh, 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 and respected voice on our team right now. Uh, I think Wands could be, but he's a quiet kid by nature, and he needs to get outside his, his comfort zone a little bit. But I think they've both done a good job. I don't know that Kevin's comfortable enough to really uh, 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 be the leader 
vocally that he will be by Christmas, just because it's still kind of new to him. But yeah, th- those three are all all terrific leaders. Definitely, to me, sounds like something that they're not really worried about, that they have plenty of leadership on this team, and you don't really have to worry about it um, as far as that goes. Now, as far as Jalen, obviously he does have you know requirements as a leader, but also, what is it going to look like for him? Can he be that go-to scorer as the shot clock's winding down? Can he create a shot one-on-one against a good defender? Like Those are going to be real questions. Can he be a good shooter? But overall, at the end of the day, Jalen Wilson is going to be asked to do similar things what he's done in the past couple years, just more often and more of it. I mean, over the last 25 games last season, he averaged 13-8. and So if he just has a bigger role and does those same things, maybe he's averaging 17-10 and and he is an All-American or something like that. But here is Bill Self talking about what Jalen needs to do this season. I I think that's he he still needs to be a jack-of-all-trades. I I think he needs to do what he did last year better. Uh, uh, And I think he will. But the one thing that you'll see more for Jalen – Jalen is is a is a big confidence guy, not so much that he didn't believe in himself. He just knew last year that you know there's a couple other guys. Even though it's hard for a player to admit, there's probably a better option to shoot the ball than what he was. This year he won't see it that way, which hopefully is going to be a really good thing for us and for him. The biggest question overall, though, for this Kansas team at the moment, personnel wise, is what's going to happen at center. They have capable players, they have talented guys, but are they going to be ready? As they're all very young, and there hasn't been a lot of separation there. Here's Bill Self discussing the center position. I mean, our big guys are are one A, one B, one C, one D. There's nobody that has emerged ahead of anybody, and I mean anybody as far as uh, definitely definite playing time and everything, but. We'd like for Zach to be a guy that, that in a perfect world and the way I saw it going into a season to be have a great chance to be a starter. Uh, uh, you know, he's got to be a post presence even though he's a, he's a perimeter postman, but he's still got to be a post presence uh, and score the ball in tight and he's got to be able to defend the paint in the rim. Uh, but, but uh, you know, and, and I, think he, I think he has potential to do that. The, the thing about it is with, with uh, a lot of guys coming off the bench last year, whether it be Joe and we saw flashes or Zach and we saw flashes, uh, you know, roles are changed. It's a little bit easier to be a, a flash guy than it is to be a guy that needs to get numbers consistently and that stuff. And so uh, uh, I think Zach was really good in some games. And we remember the OU game here when he came in and sparked us and whatnot. But that's just a small snippet of, of – of, what really playing is, you know, and 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 do you display him because he's matched up against a perimeter five man, or is he able to guard Oscar or Trace Jackson Davis? I mean, those are those are totally different questions, and so you'd like for the same guy to be able to do both. Uh, so those are the things that we, we'll we'll need to figure out as we go with our big guys. So certainly in flux, you heard the exact quote of we have a 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, that there isn't really that separation. So we'll see what it looks like early in the season there and him talking about Zach Clements and maybe that there are certain things he needs to work on to, to kind of take reign of that spot with his post presence and interior defense, whatever it would be, maybe rebounding, strength down low, all those sorts of things. And what he talked about at the end there I think is certainly interesting because I think sometimes we get caught up every year when KU has these – loaded rosters with all these different players and and they have different guys who do different things 
that you get into the idea of, well, we'll play this guy when we're playing this matchup. We'll play this guy in this other matchup against this other team. And that like, hey, when we get to the NCAA tournament, if we're playing a stretch five, we'll play this center. If we're playing a traditional five, we'll play this center. And it'll be great because we have all these different options and we're going to go to the one that you know, is able to best reflect that. And you could have even said that this past year, that, hey, if Kansas matches up with a stretch five in the tournament this year, Zach Clements is going to come in for a five to ten minute stretch, or KJ Adams is going to come in. But that doesn't happen, because once we get to that point in the season, Bill Self doesn't go with, hey, I need to try to match their matchup. He says, I'm just going to put my best guys on the court, the guys that I trust the most, and we should be making the other team try to play to us, not playing to them, because we have the talented team. We're the team that's going to be a one, two, three, or four seed, or whatever it is, probably the the better seeded team. So it doesn't come down to just matchups, and uh, all that stuff is good and well to have the different options, but at the end of the day, it's going to pretty much come down to the guys who are in the rotation that you trust night in, night out, of can they adjust to the different matchups as opposed to using the rotation to adjust for it. And that's what Bill Zuff's looking for. He's not just looking for the matchup guy that he can play this center, this game, this center, the other game. He wants one guy, you know, maybe a second guy who comes off the bench who can do a little bit of everything. And uh, I guess we'll see against Pitt State who the starter is right off the bat. But I wouldn't be shocked if the starter for that game is completely different than the first game. And that's completely different than the second game. And then that's different than the Duke game, something like that. It's just uh, seems like it's going to be a, a bit of a carousel this season, at least early on while you're trying to figure out what the rotation should be in uh, that situation. Now, Bill Self also talked about some of the different individuals as part of KU Media Avail earlier this week. And you heard him talking about Joe Yesifu in that last answer of a guy who was able to come off the bench and maybe show some flashes. His role is certainly going to be intriguing this season. And, and one reason why is because of Bobby Pettiford. And you look at you know, the backup point guard spot, there might only be five, eight, ten minutes a game that is going to be out there that Dewan Harris is not on the floor for the backup point guard spot. Is it a competition between Yesifu and Pettiford? Sounds like Pettiford is healthy, playing really well, and that spot is Pettiford's to lose. In the secret scrimmage the other day, I thought he moved very well. And, and uh, I think Bobby's, Bobby's had a – he hasn't had a great fall, but that's only because he's only been healthy about a week. But – in the times that he's been healthy, he's he's looked pretty impressive. So, I'm ex- I'm excited about him. In, in a perfect world, it would just be nice to know if Juan's not in the game, Bobby run your team. In a perfect world, and and so uh, uh, if if it's not that way, then you know Kevin will have to be the guy probably. Uh, uh, but uh, I do like I do like where Bobby's at right now. So back to Joe Yesifu, where does that leave him? If, if Pettiford's going to be the backup point guard behind Dewan Harris and eat up those minutes, and then maybe Pettiford plays, a, I don't know, a handful of minutes next to Dewan Harris, how much can Joe Yesifu play? Well, there's certainly a limit because between the two through the four, you have 120 minutes to give out between three positions. If Jalen, Kevin McCuller, and Grady Dick total up 90 of those minutes, that's 30 apiece, which some guys could get a few more, some one of those three could get a few less. That only leaves you with 30 minutes between MJ Rice and between playing that second guard and KJ Adams. So uh, how much of a role is Joe Yesifu going to play it sounds like he's going to be playing a different role this year than he was last year where he was kind of that emergency backup point guard, and he's going to be more to an off-ball threat this year that they need to score the basketball. Yeah, Joe was really good in the scrimmage the other day. I, I, I think it's, uh, although we can't talk about it, secret scrimmage, but, but uh, uh, Joe is, needs, to, needs to go score. Uh, uh, he needs to be a guy that when he's in the game, that he feels the freedom that he has to go attack and score. I think that's how he can help us the most. 
it, it's obviously one thing for him to understand that, but but do you think his teammates do too? Oh, that, I think so. I mean, it's an emphasis we make every day. So I, I do think they understand that. I do. So there's going to be an opportunity for him right off the bat. And we've had questions about who the scores for this team is going to be, who's the shooter is going to be. He's going to have an opportunity to play early in the season, maybe not a ton of minutes, but who knows? It could be 10, 15 minutes a game to have that opportunity as like an off guard where he can score the basketball. And if he does it efficiently, he could work into a bigger role. He could be that sixth man for you. He could be a guy that you play late in games as a closer because he is one of your better you know, shot creators, shot makers on the team. And so that potential is still there for Joe Yesifu. But then the downside to it is that because Bobby Pettiford would be the backup to Dwan Harris and because you have all these wings, if he's unable to score consistently, then he could get buried on the rotation. So there's a wide range of outcomes for what Joe Yesifu could be this year. But I really hope we get to see that scoring version of him that he was at Drake, especially the last couple months that he was there before he came to Kansas, because that guy was a tough bucket scorer and this team could certainly use that especially from one of the guard positions now one thing that caught a lot of people's ear was the comments made by Bill Self on Michael Jankovic he was asked about you know who's a kind of surprising player or a breakout player so far that we've had over the last couple weeks here was Bill Self's answer I don't I don't know that I I I have we've been surprised by anybody lately uh maybe Jank you know, Jenks shoots it so good. Do, do, do you try to figure out a way where he can be your ninth man and just come in and hopefully get three looks and a half and make two? Uh, uh, but uh, other than that, I, I don't. I think we're pretty much what we, where we thought we'd be. Would that be – I mean, Connor had a different role, obviously, not ninth man, but TN. Did, would there be an opportunity for him? I don't, to- I don't, I don't know if I, – I, I don't know that yet, but if this team labors to score – I mean, we, we, we can scrimmage every day, and if we're just going to score the most points we can, Jake needs to be on the floor. So, so I mean, that's he's, he's good enough to, to do that. Uh, uh, but, you know, obviously defensively and athletically, he's probably not as to the point where he can play the same way that uh, uh, we probably want to play and, and be effective doing it. But but he, he's been a very pleasant surprise. couple things. One, it, it's not unheard of that – KU's had a, a walk-on that's played some sort of a role on their team under Bill Self. Clay Young was pretty key for the team a handful of years ago in, in some of the non-con before they added like Silvio DeSosa and whatnot down low in the post. Um, you had you know Connor Tehan work up and eventually be a rotation player on the team. Uh, you know There have been other guys that KU has relied on as walk-ons to play some sort of role. So it wouldn't be crazy. If he's the best shooter on the team, he's a 40% three-point shooter, even if the defense and some other things are lacking, sometimes you could just use that floor spacer. Like, we see it in the NBA. Like, Kyle Korver played till he was, like, 40 and was getting minutes every year because he wasn't a great defender, this or that, but they had four other guys who were all of those other little things, and they just needed a floor spacer. So, like, it's not that crazy, but it also, I think, speaks to the fact that, yeah, shooting is going to be a question for this team, and they might have to go to Michael Jankovic and lose out on some playmaking and defensive ability and some of the other stuff of the game just to get the shooting in there, which uh, is a little bit scary that you could be faced with that proposition and you know, it'd be even tougher to try to figure out the rotations and who's going to get what amount of minutes if now you have another player you weren't really expecting to maybe be in the rotation to be taking away even more minutes from what's already a lightened load for some guys to, to get to. So that was certainly an interesting answer from uh, Bill Self. The, the last 
thing here is is talking about MJ Rice and what he can provide for the team this season and comparing him to Wayne Selden. Here was the answer from Bill Self. Athletically, they're almost, you know, when they're almost identical. Same body type, same explosion. Uh, 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 they probably shoot it about the same. You know, Wayne wasn't a great shooter when he got here, but he was more of a scorer than a shooter. There's a lot of things. The, the thing I would say is Wayne's probably a little bit more advanced in, in uh, his years as far as being a player. It seems like uh, uh, Wayne was a legitimately maybe a, a year or so ahead of, of maybe his class just because he'd had so many experiences maybe that MJ hadn't had yet. Uh, but but I, I, physically, I see a ton of, some, ton of similarities. And with MJ, what do you feel like his role might look like on the team this year? I don't. I, I think his role will be totally different in February than it is now. I don't think he's comfortable yet, and and uh, he shows flashes. Uh, there's no question. He's he's trying hard. He's a great kid. He he wants to be good, and he certainly wants to please. Uh, but he's he's uh, uh, he's still got a lot of stuff to learn before he can really. Uh, untie his mind to the point where he can play to his athletic ability, I think. So we kind of finish where we started. MJ Rice going to be better by February than he is at the beginning of the season. Who knows, maybe he's only playing 15 minutes a game in the non-con, and then by the time conference play, his physical traits are caught up with him not overthinking the game or anything, and then he can be a stud on the uh, the team. I mean, uh, I, I know one side, I think Sports Illustrated has him as a top 10 recruit coming in to the uh, season, which Sports Illustrated more so focuses on like what have you accomplished to this point as opposed to a potential projection. So certainly interesting with uh, MJ Rice there and what role he's going to play in a pretty loaded wing backcourtish thing for KU this season. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We're going to take a timeout. Be back after that.